السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. We will now begin in sha Allah. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala nabina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Brothers and sisters in Islam, today, unfortunately, is the last lesson of our long seerah, which we started at the beginning of this year approximately, and now we reach the 38th lesson from the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Before I begin, insha'Allah, a lot of you are asking, am I going to start another series after this? Yes, insha'Allah, that's my intention. But after today, we'll have a break. And then insha'Allah, memorize this date, the 7th of February, Thursday. Insha'Allah, I will return. And uh, I haven't decided on the next topic yet. Either I will go backwards on the series of the prophets from the beginning. Some people have requested that. Or I might go continue from after the death of the Prophet ﷺ on the seerah of the Khulafa, what happened after the death of the Prophet ﷺ in the next uh, generations of the four or five great Khalifas of Islam. Until then, insha'Allah, stay tuned. I'll advertise it on the Facebook page. I'll post it up there. Not advertise, I'm not taking money for it. I'll just post it up, insha'Allah. And insha'Allah ta'ala, you will know. So the 7th of February on a Thursday, we'll continue insha'Allah ta'ala here in Preston Mosque. Um, and insha'Allah ta'ala, I don't know what time the salat is, but it'll most likely still be before Maghrib. Any questions? You're all welcome to put suggestions of topics that you think you would like me to cover insha'Allah ta'ala. On the Facebook page, if you like, I'll read it. If I don't, I don't reply to everyone because it just takes up too much time. You know, you you got a life to live. So, but I, I read it. Alhamdulillah, I read it. So let's begin, insha'Allah, with our last lesson. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. We have now arrived in the year number nine of the Hijri calendar. To recap, the Hijri calendar is the Islamic calendar that Muslims follow, what we're supposed to follow. The Hijri calendar begins from the day the Prophet Muhammad migrated from Mecca to Medina. Our Hijri calendar does not begin from the time the Prophet was born, nor does it begin from the time of particular events. The only time it begins with is a time of transformation that involves the entire Ummah of the world. It is called the migration of the Prophet ﷺ and his companions. Because Islam teaches us to be an Ummah of action and being proactive and change for the better, to move forward, not backwards. So the migration Hijri calendar is significant because it is named after basically the entire Ummah of the world. It involves the entire Ummah of the world and every person in the world is part of the Hijrah. 
because it was when Islam was established and Allah had opened the doors for it to reach throughout the world the Hijri day it was Umar ibn al-Khattab who established finally that Muslims follow the Islamic calendar it was the same 12 months and it has always been in the Quran Allah says the number of months to Allah are 12 Muharram, Safar and so on and so our Islamic calendar begins on Muharram the first from the day the Prophet migrated we are now in Rabi' al-Thani the fifth month the fourth month of the Islamic calendar so now I'm going to take you back it is the ninth year of the Hijrah the Prophet dies in the eleventh year of Hijrah so it's two years before he dies approximately we talked about the Prophet's conquest of Mecca and then he went out to Hunayn, the Battle of Hunayn. And then after that, he returned back to Medina. He did Umrah. The Prophet did four Umrahs in his lifetime. How many Umrahs? Four Umrahs. And how many Hajj? One. He did one Hajj in his lifetime. And he did four Umrahs in his lifetime. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That year, the ninth, when he returned, he had discovered that there were hypocrites among the people that now needed to be exposed. These were among the last things the Prophet ﷺ did towards the end of his last two years. So I'm going to go through them, inshallah, chronologically to the best I can. So when he returned back to Medina, he discovered that there were some hypocrites that wanted to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ. They were spies among the Muslims who were working to help the disbelievers to kill the Prophet ﷺ and annihilate Islam and Muslims. The master of them and their head's name was Abdullah ibn Salul. That was his name. He was supposed to become the leader of Medina, the king of Medina. Until the Prophet ﷺ migrated, went in there and he stuffed up all his plans. So Abdullah ibn Sulul had it in for the Prophet ﷺ, personal grudge, and he wanted to destroy him so that he can take kingdom of Medina. But little did he know that he is taking on Allah and the Messenger of Allah. He is the Messenger of Allah. And as the Prophet ﷺ always said, it is also in the Quran, Inna al-arda lillah, this earth belongs to Allah, yarithuha man yasha. He lets whoever he wills to inherit it. And the end triumph is for those who are God-fearing. So this earth does not belong to the Prophet وسلم, or to the Muslims or to the, or to the animals or to Abdullah ibn Salul or anyone. It belongs to Allah and He gives control over it to whomever He wills. And Allah said, the ones who normally inherit it with my permission are my sincere servants who are righteous. If you establish justice on earth, you inherit the earth. And Ibn Taymiyyah, one of the greatest scholars of the past, used to say, Allah will assist a government that is established on justice, even if it was a kafir government, a disbelieving government, but they uphold justice. And He will not assist a Muslim government if it applies injustice in its land. 
So such was the teaching of the Prophet So he arrives in Medina and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings to the Prophet the names of the hypocrites who are amongst them. We're going to have to deal with them. And he is now going to expose them in front of all the Muslims and exile them, tell them to get out. So he stood up in the member of the mosque and he called everyone. Bilal who made the adhan. Sometimes he would make the adhan just to call people, it didn't have to be for prayer. Sometimes for an announcement. And then all the people of Medina, most of them arrived in the masjid. The Prophet stood up on the member and after saying Alhamdulillah wa salatu salamu ala Rasulillah, he immediately went to name the names of the hypocrites. So and so, and so and so, and so and so, and so and so, by name. And there were about something close to 70 of them, according to what I remember. And they all had to get up in front of everyone and said, leave the masjid, leave this town, don't come back. They even had the opportunity to repent, but they didn't. One of them, as he was getting out, a sahabi was coming in and he said, where are you going? He said, the messenger of Allah has exposed me as one of the hypocrites. And he said, may Allah curse you, enemy of Islam and the Prophet. Because the Prophet doesn't say a lie. And truly they left. The only man he did not say his name was, guess who? The leader of all the hypocrites, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Sadul. Why? Because the greatest humiliation to Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was about to come. He doesn't need to say his name, but he is going to suffer by default, naturally. Abdullah ibn Ubay Salul started this, and he will suffer from his own hands without even needing to be exposed. Allah does say in the Quran, Allah always exposes the hypocrites. So leave them. The Prophet ﷺ did not kill them, although they deserved death. Allah said in the Quran, as a matter of fact, the hypocrites will be at the lowest pits of hellfire and you will not find anyone helping them. They're lower than the shaitan. Right at the bottom. But the Prophet did not kill them. Why? Out of wisdom. He doesn't want it to be known in Arabia and the world and to the time and, and the history to come, the future to come, for anyone to accuse the Prophet that he kills his own companions. Because the hypocrites, they acted like companions. They dressed like companions. And people would have after him said, no, 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 they weren't. They weren't hypocrites. And if he had killed them, they would say he was killing his companions. So the Prophet let them be to their own demise. They were going to destroy themselves. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Sarul, truly it happened to him. After leaving, he saw it and he thought, all the hypocrites have been exposed. I've got no supporters. I've got no people around me. They've all left me. They left him. They can't help him anymore. They said, we've been exposed. You're on your own. And so Abdullah ibn Ubay Sarul was left to die a lonely, miserable man. As a result, he got depressed and sick. And the end of Abdullah ibn Ubayy Salul, the leader of the hypocrites, was as follows. He got sick out of depression and anxiety and stress. And as he was dying, he called upon the Prophet The Prophet, peace be upon him, went to visit him. And he was saying, Where are my allies of the Jews? 
Where are my allies of the Jews? Because he used to be allies with them. They all abandoned me. And the Prophet ﷺ looks at him angrily, saying, Until now, Ya Abdullah, no time for you to repent. You're still remembering the enemies of Islam who betrayed you? So then Abdullah looks at him and he, goes, and he tries to change the word around. He says, Look, Ya Rasulullah, it's time of death. I'm dying. So just let it go. And don't hold it on to me. You know, I'm dying. Just let it be. Let it go. So he looks at the Prophet ﷺ and says, I've got one request. Please wrap me up with your clothes when I die and pray Salat al-Janazah on me. Will you do that? The Prophet ﷺ said, I will do that. Why? Because he is rahmatan lil'alameen, the mercy to all mankind. He still was hoping that maybe Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul will repent before his death. Brothers and sisters, this is the man who was the worst of the worst in conspiring against the Prophet ﷺ and he knew it. Yet even then, the Prophet ﷺ is hoping maybe he will save himself from the fire. And no one does that except for a Prophet. If the Prophet ﷺ was a king, he wouldn't do that. If he was after the world, he wouldn't do that. If he was after leadership, he wouldn't do that. If he was after wealth, he wouldn't do that. If he was after fame and honor, he wouldn't do that. Only a messenger of Allah would do that. The greatest enemies to him, he always hoped to the last breath that they had to convert to Islam and to save themselves from the fire. What's he going to get out of him if he dies now and converts to Islam? Nothing. The Prophet's Islamic kingdom, it's not a kingdom, the Islamic rule had now reached Bahrain, Yemen. It's going to soon get to Syria and he knows he's going to get to Persia. He's not worried about one man converting to Islam at his last breath. Nobody cares about him. And if there's only one reason, he truly is the messenger of God. And the purpose of the messenger of God is to Allah to send him as a mercy to save the people from the fire into paradise, from darkness into light. But with their choice. However, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul died. And the Prophet ﷺ did not know whether he had converted or not or repented. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did expose in the first parts of the verses in the Quran, saying these are the signs of the hypocrites and he started counting them to the point where all the Muslims approximately started to know and pick Abdullah ibn Ubay as being a hypocrite because all the signs were there in the Quran. You can read it in Surah Al-Munafiqun and other parts. Signs were there and they all fell onto Abdullah ibn Salul. But the Prophet chose to what? To still interpret and assume about him good. The guy died. And the Prophet ﷺ fulfilled his promise. He goes up to him when he was dead on his bed. And the Prophet ﷺ starts praying Salat al-Janazah on him once, twice. He's about to pray, prays once, twice. And Umar because he's a tough, you know, he's a man of just black and white. He comes up and very vocally says to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, do not pray on him. He is a munafiq. He is a hypocrite. Ya Rasulullah, Allah has exposed him. Look at all these signs. He cannot be anything but a hypocrite. Don't pray on him. Don't make this still far for him. And Prophet ﷺ says to Umar, Go away from me, Ya Umar. Go away from me. If I will make istighfar for him 70 times if it need be until Allah forgives him. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the verse, Ayah 80 in chapter number 9 in Surah at tawbah Allah said, Istaghfir lahum, awla tastaghfir lahum. In 
إنهم كفروا بالله ورسوله والله لا يهدي القوم الفاسقين إن تستغفر لهم سبعين مرة لا يغفر الله لهم الله says whether you ask forgiveness for them or do not ask forgiveness for them even if you ask forgiveness for them seventy times God will not forgive them that is because they disbelieved in Allah and His Messenger Allah does not guide the immoral people and that was the end. Anyone who is a hypocrite, that is truly a hypocrite, that Prophet knew he was and Allah had pointed them out, nobody was allowed to make istighfar them or pray upon them. And such was the end of the hypocrisy in Medina and the land of the Muslims. Then, my brothers and sisters in Islam, Allah sent down the rest of Surah At-Tawbah, all of it, chapter number 9. And the Prophet ﷺ, he wanted to go and do Hajj. This is in the ninth year of Hijrah. But he didn't feel like going to Hajj that year. The reason for that is because he knew that the people of Makkah had still, were still new to Islam. But that's not the reason. People were still learning about Islam. And so there was a bit of Islam and a bit of traditions of old that still had not been gone. One of these traditions was still, if you remember in the classes, maybe tens of classes before, I told you that it was a tradition among the, in Arabia, that people who could not afford particular ihrams from the people of Quraysh, then they had to do tawaf naked. So there were men and women doing naked tawaf around the Kaaba. Prophet ﷺ didn't like to go there because they were naked. However, he sent Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu to Makkah and says, go and teach them Islam and teach them about their Hajj and teach them about this and teach them about that. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu went there and then when Surah At-Tawbah came down, the Prophet thought, who am I going to send to Makkah to teach them Surah At-Tawbah? He sent his cousin Ali radiallahu anhu. Ali radiallahu anhu went there and when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu saw Ali radiallahu anhu, he asked him, Ya Ali, have you come as a command from the Prophet to lead in my place? To teach them in my place or have you come with a particular mission he said i have come with a particular mission and that is to teach the people the verses of surah at-tawbah they were all rules and laws about how to perform you know how to live their life in times of war and battle and about hypocrisy and about zakat and other things like that and so ali radiallahu anhu did so then ali radiallahu anhu stood up and he said, as the Prophet ﷺ said, Polytheists, you have four months to leave Arabia. Arabia from this day after four months will become sacred and no two religions can be in Arabia. So yes, the Prophet ﷺ expelled anyone who was not a believer, a Muslim from Arabia. Why? Because Arabia had become the center of monotheism. If it was corrupted, it will be corrupt till the end of time. It's like saying, for example, the Vatican. Having a mosque built inside the Vatican is an absolute no-no. And the Vatican is nothing compared to Mecca. Uh, the, you know, the Mecca and Medina. The Prophet ﷺ forbid any polytheism in there. If he allowed any statue, any polytheism, it will only corrupt it forever. But everywhere else, outside of Arabia, Christians and Jews and uh, polytheists and all that could live in peace and harmony under Islam if they wanted to or they had to pay a tax in exchange for Muslims providing them protection 
uh, artillery, uh, uh, help and support, and a kind of allegiance. Brothers and sisters in Islam, that's how the world worked in that time. So my brothers and sisters in Islam, the Prophet ﷺ also said, all previous agreements with the Prophet ﷺ have ended, and now only new agreements happened. Another thing that happened in the ninth year in Hajj, now by the way, when is Hajj done? Which month of the Muslim calendar? Is the first, the second, the third, the middle, when? When is Hajj done? Hmm? I can only see Mal's moving. I don't know what you're saying. What are you saying? Bubu? Mumu? I can't hear, that's what I'm saying. Hulu? Something like that. Swearing at me? What? Naam? Dhul Hijjah. Is that the 11th or 12th? It's the 12th. It's the last month. Therefore, now, the Prophet's in the end. The last month of the ninth year, the Hajj is done, and the Prophet returns to Medina. He didn't go to Hajj. He sent Abu Bakr and Ali, and he was on his way from Hunayn. He goes to Medina. And subhanAllah, what happens? He finds out that his beloved daughter, Umm Kulthum, radiallahu anha, the wife of Uthman ibn Affan. Remember Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu anha. The one who married two daughters of the Prophet, sallallahu The first one, Ruqayya, and she died. The Prophet, sallallahu became very sad and for her. And Uthman, radiallahu anha, became very sad and for her. But from the love that the Prophet, sallallahu had for Uthman, radiallahu anha, he said to him, take my, other, my second daughter, Umm Kulthum. And so Uthman Anhu married Umm Kulthum, and Uthman Anhu was nicknamed. Till today, we call him this Dhunurain, the man with the two with the two radiant lights. The two radiant lights are referring to who? The two daughters of the Prophet Sallallahu and Umm Kulthum. And then guess what? Rasul Sallallahu reached Medina in the, at the end of the ninth year and finds out that Umm Kulthum Anha died. She passed away. She attracted a fever. And she died and passed away. So the Prophet now has two sons whom he witnessed die in his lifetime and he buried them with his own hands. And three daughters die and he buried them with his own hands. And three wives whom died and he buried them with his own hands. The first of them was Khadija. The only one left was Fatima. She dies six or eight months after the death of the Prophet And the only ones of his family left, his immediate family, Al-Hasan al Hussein, his grandchildren, and his direct cousin Ali and his uncle Al-Abbas, and some of his other cousins. So, he finds that Umm Kulthum had died, and he becomes severely sad for the loss of his dear daughter. And Uthman comes to the Prophet also tearing, tearing for the dead, is allowed in Islam. But what's not allowed? Wailing and slapping and all that stuff. The Prophet ﷺ looks at Uthman and hugs him and kisses him on his head and says, Ya Uthman, Wallahi, if I had a third daughter for marriage, I would have given her to you. But Fatim was married to who? To Ali radiallahu And Ali radiallahu anhu was not allowed to marry a second wife while Fatima was his wife. She was too precious and too good. The Prophet said she is one of the four perfect women of the world. After her death, Ali married several women. Then, my dear brothers and sisters, the tenth year of Hijrah happened, and what's happened? In the ninth year, and the tenth year, and the first month of the eleventh year, something amazing started to happen, which Prophet and the Muslims had never witnessed before. 
for the first time. Not one or two people are embracing Islam. People are not going out trying their best to teach people Islam. Everybody had already heard about Islam. The whole of Arabia all the way to Bahrain and Yemen had heard about Islam for now what? For nearly 16 to 20... How long? You had 13 plus another, nearly now 21 years. And all the Arabian Peninsula, what's their attitude? Their attitude is, if this is a messenger of God, they always said this, if he truly is a prophet of God as he claims, then God will give him victory over all his enemies and Arabia. Because that's how they considered victory of a messenger of God. It was impossible for him to rise from ashes, from nothing, with slaves, with puny people in their eyes. To rise above them like that in only a few years, they said he must be a prophet, he was able to rise, and even without battle. Because when did they embrace Islam? When there was no battle. When the Sulh al-Hudaybiyah happened, if you remember, within two years, more than 100,000 people embraced Islam. More than, more than 16 years of da'wah. 16 years of da'wah only had a few hundred. When he had a peace treaty where there was no more battles and war, people opened their ears and more than 100,000 people embraced Islam in only two years. Why? Because Islam, the best way for it to spread is what? Through peace. Speaking. People start to listen. And then after that, the conquest of Mecca, the people started to hear about Islam everywhere. And they said, wow, this man, truly God has given him victory. He's not a normal man. Let's listen about him. Let's go to him and ask him a few questions. And so he became the most famous person and his companions became the most famous people, especially that he was almost about to conquer Rome and Persia was on its brink. And what happened? Tribes after tribes started to send delegates from themselves to the Prophet ﷺ in Masjid al-Nabawi to learn about Islam. And so the way people started to embrace Islam was not in the tens or the dozens, but in the thousands, all at once. For the first time in those last two years of Prophet's life, people embraced Islam in at least the hundreds, average the thousands, all at once. They would send, for example, 30, 20, 12 of their chiefs and leaders on behalf of their tribe and cities. They would come to the Prophet ask him a few questions that concerned them, and when they were convinced, they would embrace Islam, go back to their people, and their whole tribe would also embrace after their chiefs. Or they would embrace sincerely after learning about Islam. So some of them would embrace because their chiefs embraced, and some of them would embrace because they were sincere, and some of them would embrace. Why? Because everybody else did it. So there were those who were sincere and strong, and those who were half-half, and those who had an attitude of harshness, and they were called the Bedouins. And these Bedouins, half of them had harsh hearts, and they were insincere, they were always rude, and half of them were sincere, and they were strong. Like either extremely this way or extremely that way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them in the Quran, Al-A'rabu ashabdu kufran wa nifaqa. Allah says, the Bedouins are among those who are the worst in disbelief and hypocrisy. And among them are those who are strongest in belief and goodness. So this will explain to you after the Prophet's death, fitna is going to happen. Because when does fitna happen? When does mischief and calamities happen? When there is insincerity among our ranks. Insincerity. 
And what did Iblis, the shaitan, say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he said, I refuse to bow to Adam? He said, I will lead them all astray. As for those who are sincere, I will not have any power over them. So when there is insincerity among your ranks, fitna happens. My brothers and sisters in Islam, so the Prophet ﷺ started to receive these delegates. And I'll give you just a few examples. The first of them were called Bani Najran. Bani Najran were an Arab Christian tribe made up of about 73 towns. 100,000 fighters among them. They're about 100 kilometers away from Medina towards Yemen. And they sent three ministers of theirs. The minister of policy and government, his name was Abdul, Abdul Masih, the, the, the slave of Jesus. Minister of politics and education, his name was Sharabil, if you want to know. Minister of religion and ethics, his name was Abu Haritha. And they came to the Prophet ﷺ with a few men from among them. As I said, they were Christians affected by the Roman tradition. Now, here's something very important for us to learn about them. These were Christians who came to the Prophet ﷺ, and where did they enter? They entered into the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ, Masjid Nabawi, the second holiest mosque in the world. The holiest one is Mecca, Al-Kaaba. The second one, Medina. The third one, Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem. So they came to the Prophet's Masjid Medina, and what did they do? They entered into the masjid and they used to sleep there and sit there while watching the Muslims pray. And they even prayed their own prayers in the masjid, and the Prophet allowed them. He allowed them. Why? Because the ulama say, the scholars say, if there is a benefit for the Muslim community by allowing non-Muslims to come into the mosque to observe and watch, and even if they were to pray at the back, if there's a benefit, then let them. Because we are an ummah, a nation of Muslims, who what? We integrate with everyone, but the integration obviously has conditions. We do not mix our belief with theirs. We do not copy and imitate their norms if it goes against our deen. But to invite people, you need to share things sometimes. You don't share your worship, but sometimes you need to compromise a little bit. For the purpose of what? For the purpose of da'wah. And this is for some people who say, oh, non-Muslims are not allowed into the masjid at all. They're not allowed to sit in there. They're najas or impure. Wrong. If there is a benefit for the community and the Muslims, then it is allowed. And this is the evidence from the Prophet So Bani Najran came in and they spent a few days in the masjid. And among, among the things they asked the Prophet which bothered them, was they said, okay, if you say that you are a messenger of God, teach us. So we started reciting some Qur'an to them. The best way is to recite Qur'an because there were people of Arabs and they were intrigued by the Qur'an. Wallahi, even today, when you recite Qur'an to non-Muslims, don't understand the Arabic language. Some of them in the West, they get affected even though they don't know what's being recited. Subhanallah. So the Qur'an has its way to enter the hearts. Now obviously it affected them, but they are not convinced. So they said, Muhammad, what do you say about our Lord Jesus Christ? The Prophet ﷺ, he waited for an answer from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He wanted the best answer. The next day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the first, verse, the first bits of verses, not the start of the surah, but bits of it in the middle, a few pages down from Surat Al-Imran. And you will, if you all know Surat Al-Imran, it, it, it addresses a lot of the issues of the people of the book. It addresses the, the beliefs of the Jews and the beliefs of the uh, Christians. And it addresses a lot about 
about how to how to get along with them and how to uh, where the fine line is between us and them and what we can do with them, what we can't do with them, what their beliefs are and why do we not believe in it and where do we meet and how do we not and how to debate with them and how to dialogue with them and all of that. In early Amran, for example, it talks about us that we can marry from them, we can eat from their slaughtered food and so on. So bringing kind of a relationship with them more than anyone else because we call them the people of the book. So Ali Amran, Surah Al Amran was dealing with that. So the next day, the Prophet ﷺ started to recite upon them about Isa السلام, as Allah said. And these are the following verses. He said, Audhu Billahi Shaitan Rajeem. Inna mathala Isa inda Allahi ka mathali Adam khalaqahu min turabin thumma qala lahu kun fayakun. الحق من ربك فلا تكن من الممترين فمن حاجك فيه من بعد ما من بعد ما جاءك من العلم فقل تعالوا ندع أبناءنا وأبناءكم ونساء Allah said, Surely in the sight of Allah, the similitude of the creation of Isa, of Jesus, is as the creation of Adam, whom he created out of dust, and then he said, Be, and he was. This is the truth from your Lord. Be not then among those who doubt. Then Allah said to them, Tell whoever disputes with you on this matter after true knowledge has come to you. Come, let us summon our sons and your sons, and your women and our women, and ourselves and yourselves, and then let us pray together and invoke the curse of Allah on those who lie. This is the true story. There is no God but Allah, and assuredly, Allah is almighty, all wise. My brothers and sisters, this verse was the first verse to address the Muslims to give them a way to converse and dialogue with the people of the book. He said, let's talk about Jesus Christ. If you think he is the son of God, well, he's no different to Adam. Adam is the first of all mankind. The Christians believe that. Why wouldn't Adam be the son of God? For if Jesus Christ was born without a father, which is true, and you consider that a miracle enough to call him God's son, then think about Adam. He wasn't born of a father or a mother. So in other words, question yourselves. Wouldn't Adam have the right to be God's son? For his miracle is greater. But you have lied. Then Allah says, if they turn away from you, a messenger of God, when you recite these verses to them tomorrow, if they don't like that answer, then say to them a challenge. Say to them, okay, bring yourselves and we'll bring ourselves. You bring your children, we'll bring our children. You bring your women, we'll bring our women. And in front of God, we'll stand and we will say, oh God, curse the ones who are lying. Now, subhanAllah, this is amazing because if they refuse to do that, it means they are scared. But if they do that, then either one of two things. Either they don't believe 
in their actual religion to go and say, may God's curse be upon us, then they're not true believers. And we're talking about the big chiefs. We're talking about the minister of religion of the country. So their people will catch them out. Or number two, if you, do, if you don't say God's curse, then Islam is the religion. But if you do say God curse us, you all know deep inside of you that you're not following the truth. They knew that. So when they came to the Prophet ﷺ, they didn't like it. And so the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, we'll do mubahala. We'll go to the challenge. They said, okay. The Prophet ﷺ goes back at home. Now this is towards the end of his life and he's still doing this da'wah. He grabs his grandchildren and Hassan and Hussein and he carries them to show them that he is ready and on the truth. And behind him was his daughter Fatima, his own family. And he walks straight into the open and says to them, this is my grandsons. This is my daughter. I am ready to invoke the curse upon Allah if I am lying. And you must do the same. When they saw that he was true to it, they got scared. Subhanallah. And they went and spoke to their minister of religion, Abu Haritha. And he said, listen guys, back off. We might be wrong. Okay, look, they have a point. But it's just because, you know, we can't make a change right now. Just give them the jizya. Jizya means the tax which they used to pay. And he said, take the jizya in exchange for a peace treaty between us. And so the Prophet ﷺ accepted it and there was a kind of allegiance with them. Kind of allegiance. When the peace was established between them and the people of the Christians of Najran, they started to learn about their religion more. And subhanAllah, in only a few weeks, the entire Najran cities, all 72, more than 100,000 men and more women and children, finally embraced Islam, including their ministers. SubhanAllah. They all converted to Islam. This is only a few weeks, more than 100,000. Now, another very interesting group came along. There was a group called Bani Hanifa from a place called Yamana. It's about another 100 kilometers away from Medina. And ready to hear this very interesting one. You ready to hear it? Okay, stretch. Stretch your backs, your hips. Okay, don't go on the floor and do me yoga and stuff. Just stretch normal face, neck, shoulders. I don't want to see butts rising in the masjid, okay? It's not a good sight, especially with all you in front of me here. The men, of course. <laughs> Women and sisters are behind the veil. Brothers and sisters in Islam. I better shut up and continue. Brothers and sisters in Islam. Let's move on. Banu Hanifa. Another tribe arrives to the Prophet ﷺ with some delegates. With them was a very interesting man. His name was Musaylama. What was his name? Musaylama. Musaylama. This man Musaylama was a great poet and respected by his people. When he arrived at the masjid, he, didn't, he refused to enter the masjid. So he stayed outside looking after his people's property. So they trusted him with their property. They entered, about 12 of their men, and the Prophet ﷺ asked them if they have a man left outside about Musaylam, he knew about him. So they said, yes, yes, we left him outside to guard our belongings. And listen to what the Prophet ﷺ said. He said, well, if you can trust him with your belongings, then he must have a good reputation among you of honesty. Now that, when Musaylama heard about it, 
He said, huh, madahani Rasulullah. The Messenger of God praised me. And you will see why he's emphasizing this in a minute. The Prophet ﷺ had seen a dream a night before. He said, I saw myself that I had been given the entire earth in my possession. And two gold bangles were placed in my wrists. I could see them. And when I saw the gold bangles in my dream, I hated it because it doesn't like gold, wearing gold and luxury. So he goes, I took them off and I threw them onto the ground in my dream. And Jibreel said to me, these are enemies of yours. Blow unto them. And they faded away. The Prophet he knew that there were going to be two men who were going to rise, who will claim that they are prophets, but they are liars and they'll be the enemies of the Prophet in his lifetime. And he was waiting for them. So they told this about Musaylama. Musaylama goes, he praised me. Then he said, call Musaylama in. I want to talk to him. When they went to call him, he said, I'll only come in and accept Islam if Muhammad gives us the rule after him. We want to take the Khilafah after him, the rule. When he said that the Prophet ﷺ immediately knew he was one of those gold bangles in the dream, one of the enemies. The Prophet ﷺ picked himself up. He would not settle to just send news. He has to take care of this and announce it because this is a detriment of the Ummah. To say, I'm a Prophet, the Prophet ﷺ got up and he took with him one of the Sahabas and he stood up in front of everyone and said, What is this that I hear? Musaylama said, Ya Muhammad. If you give us the Amr, if you give us the rule after you, then I will embrace Islam. The Prophet ﷺ became extremely angry and picked up a straw from the ground and said, Wallahi ya Musaylama, law sa'altani hadihi ma a'taytuk. If you were to ask me for this straw, I will not give it to you. And wallahi, I do not see you except you are the interpretation of my dream. You are one of the enemies whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to destroy Musaylama then frowned, turned away with a smile, and walked away. Musaylama goes back to Yamama, and there are people who had embraced Islam. And he begins to conspire and teach people with this manipulative, as I said, he was a very good talker, he knew how to talk and poetry. And he started to convince the people that he is a prophet. He started convincing the people that he was what? A prophet of God. He said, God has given me revelation, and I am a partner with Muhammad, the messenger of God, I am also a messenger of God. He admitted that Muhammad is a messenger of God, but he also said, you have to believe that I am a messenger of God too. And so the people of Yamama began to apostate, leave Islam and follow Musaylama. Why? Because it's an act of pride. Our people, they want the kingdom, they want the wealth. They know that Muhammad Islam is going to reach the world and they want they want it all to themselves. So they go, wow, a prophet from our tribe? That will be amazing. We will rule the world. That's it. It's dunya for them. Insincere. So Musaylama goes and writes a letter with all this audacity. He writes a letter to Muhammad وسلم, a few months later. And this is where he writes in the letter, Musaylama. He says, Min From Musaylama, the messenger of God, Ila Muhammadin Rasulillah. To Muhammad, the messenger of God. You and I are partners in this message. So, you, so let Quraysh have half and let us have the other half of the rule of the world. 
The Prophet ﷺ looks at the messengers that came to him. He had two messengers who gave him the letter. The Prophet ﷺ looks at those messengers and says, What do you say about me? Do you believe I am the messenger of God? They said, We believe and bear witness that Musaylama is the messenger of God. The Prophet ﷺ said to them, Wallahi, if it wasn't that I do not kill messengers, I would have killed you both. So they took the Prophet ﷺ, wrote a letter, and in his letter he wrote, From Muhammad Rasulullah, from Muhammad the Messenger of Allah, to Musaylamat al kadhab to Musaylamat the liar. And hence from that day till today, brothers and sisters, until the end of time, wallahi, every history book written by Muslim or non-Muslim, when they mention Musaylamat, what do they mention him as? Musaylamat the liar, Musaylamat the kadhab Wallahi. The name stuck with him from that letter of the Prophet. So Musaylama says, from, Muh- from Musaylama the Messenger of God to Muhammad the Messenger of God, Prophet replies, from Muhammad the Messenger of God to Musaylama the liar. He said to him, No, you will not inherit the kingdom or rule after me. This earth belongs to Allah. He is the only one who decides who will take it. Not even I. Muhammad doesn't own it. And the end triumph is for those who fear God. See, he's a messenger of God. A king doesn't talk like that. A, a, a greedy ruler doesn't talk like that. When Musaylama received that letter, he just laughed at it. And he kept going with his people. So his people began to doubt him. So what did they say? They come up to Musaylama, his own people. Because they're doubting. They know he's lying. But they came up to him in Nagara. This is funny. This is very funny. Listen to this. They said, Musaylama, look man, you're respected, we love you, they're lying, but just for their benefit. You know, Muhammad, the messenger of God, the other one, he revealed some verses that came down from the heavens and he read them upon us and we heard them. Have you got verses that we can hear them in? As we can show everyone else, you know, because mm, it's giving us poetry, it's not going to work, give us something a bit more. So he looks at them and goes, yes, of course. They go tell us, he goes, Muhammad Rasulullah brought a surah about the elephant. Al-Feel. Alam tara kayfa ta'ala rabbuka bi ashab al-Feel. Alam yaj'al kaydahum fi tadlil. Wa arsala alayhim tayran ababil. Tarmihim bi hijaratim min sijjil. Faj'alahum ka'asfim ma'kool. They go, beautiful. What did you say? He goes, I also received revelation about the elephant. Same. He goes, tell us. So he goes, الفيل وما أدراك ما الفيل له خرطوم طويل وذيل أثيل The elephant. And what would explain the elephant to you? He has a long trunk and a short tail. But it just rhymed. They looked at him and all laughed and they go to him, قبحك الله. May Allah make your face hideous. This is a statement the Arabs used to say, قبحك الله. When Muhammad came with verses, you know, the eloquent beyond human ability, and all you could mention is his trunk and his tail. They said to him, they said to him, We know that you are a liar. But, a lying prophet from our people is better for us. We'll, we'll accept that than a truthful prophet. From the people of Quraysh, who are they? We accept the lying prophet from us. It works for us, so long as we rule the world. Pathetic. 
And this, my brothers and sisters, really is people who are on astray. What is it that stops them from learning, accepting the truth? Their pride, their jealousy, their hatred, their grudge, their arrogance, their nationalism, their tribalism, their racism, their whatever ism they want. That's what stops people, my brothers and sisters. But when they are drowning in the ocean, the human being instinctively calls to the one God. Wallahi, everyone does that. Anyway, my brothers and sisters in Islam, this man Musaylama, he, what happened to him, I'll just say it quickly. He died two years, approximately two, he died one year, one year after the Prophet's death. At the time of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, and it was quite interesting, the man who killed him was Wahshi. Wahshi was the one who killed who? Hamza radiallahu anhu, Prophet's uncle. And you know, the Prophet wouldn't look at Wahshi's face when he became a Muslim. So the Prophet you know, he said to him, I don't want to look at you. And Wahshi became so distressed. Even after the Prophet's death, everybody kind of looked at Wahshi funny. So Wahshi said to himself, I will earn my love from Allah and his messenger. It's all this spear's fault. He looked at his spear and he said, I killed with you the most beloved man to Muhammad, his uncle. And I will not rest until I have killed with you the most hated man to the Prophet to make up. And truly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he actually, Allah sent verses in the Qur'an pertaining to Wahshi, that he was trying to repent. And truly Allah gave him, out of Allah's mercy, for Wahshi, the honor of killing Musaylam al-Kadhab with his spear. And after that, Wahshi became honorable till the end of time. Everybody respected him. SubhanAllah. See, Allah never leaves anyone out, brothers and sisters, whoever is sincere. We'll move on to just a few more incidents, Another, some other groups that came in. We'll, we'll skip them, inshallah ta'ala. But uh, there is just one very quick one. There was a man by the name of Abdullah ibn Jarir. He was from Yemen. And the reason I want to mention Yemen is because Yemen is a very special place. The places the Prophet ﷺ called the elites were the Muslims of Yemen, the Muslims of Mecca, the Muslims of Medina, the Muslims of Bahrain. Nowadays, Bahrain. And these were the best strongest Muslims. Everyone else was mixed. Yemen was among the best. One day, Abdullah ibn Jarir came into the masjid. He was one of their leaders. And the Prophet ﷺ was on the minbar. Suddenly, as Abdullah ibn Jarir enters the masjid, everybody goes quiet and they just stare at him. Imagine that you walk into the masjid and everybody goes quiet and they just stare at you. It's pretty bad. Everyone's looking at him silent. And the Prophet ﷺ standing at the minbar, he's looking at Abdullah al-Jarir and he's smiling to him. He's very happy to see him. So he turns around to the companions and says, has the Prophet ﷺ said something about me that you guys are all silent? He said, yeah. The Prophet ﷺ just told us today, a man is about to enter the masjid who is the most beloved to Allah or the best man to Allah in all of Yemen. And we were waiting to see who that man is. And it was you, Ya Abdullah ibn Jarir. And the Prophet ﷺ, after the member climbed down, hugged him and kissed him, says, How am I so happy to meet you, Ya Abdullah, the best man of people of Yemen whom Allah chose? And he says, Ya Rasulullah, thank you. I have a little problem. He goes, Because I'm so tall, I can't stabilize myself on the horse. Can you make dua for me to stabilize myself? The Prophet ﷺ said, May Allah make you stable in your heart and your body and on your horse. And he never fell off his horse after that day. So that's the little story of Abdullah ibn Jarir radiallahu anhu. Brothers and sisters, why am I telling you this? Let me tell you something. I want you to imagine with me, who is the Prophet ﷺ? If you were to meet the Prophet ﷺ, you spent 10 years with him, 
I don't think you will see him once frowning or getting angry. Maybe once or twice, and you'd have to really go out of your way to find that out. Some Sahabis had never, ever, ever seen the Prophet ﷺ angry or upset except smiling or crying. Whenever you see the Prophet, he was basam, he was always smiling, always smiling, always smiling. Even Aisha radiallahu anha used to say, whenever he entered our home, entered the house, he was smiling. If people wanted to assassinate him, he was coming from battles, he was injured, he was sick, he enters the house, what? Smiling. And that's why all of them used to say, Kana Bassam. And Aisha Gawana says, Kana Bassam. What is he? He was always smiling. Kana Bashush. They used to say, he was the man that was shining with a smile. Whoever saw him that was sad, his sadness went away. Whoever saw him that was worried, his worry went away. Why? Just by looking at his face. And you know, when you're positive and you're around people, people get that energy off you. They feel the positiveness. And when you are negative, people feel the negativity. Try it. So my brothers and sisters in Islam, that's who the Prophet ﷺ was. Always smiling. Very hard to see him angry. And so, my brothers and sisters, all these large groups started coming in, in the thousands, after thousands, in the ninth and the tenth year, until the last group to come in was in the middle of Muharram, in the eleventh year, two months before the Prophet ﷺ passed away. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the verse of the Qur'an, Allah said, when the victory of your Lord comes to you, and the opening, the opening of Makkah that is. And when you start seeing the people enter Islam in large groups after large groups, this is what was happening now. Glorify in praise of your Lord. And ask him to forgive you. Verily, he is the one who forgives all the time. Abdullah ibn Abbas, a young boy, said, and Umar anhu said, when that verse came down, we knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was preparing us to farewell the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet was farewelling us. Because look at the way it says, when you see this, because your mission has ended. That was your mission. You have told the message. It has reached, after you it's going to reach the entire world. That's it. You've opened the doors. People are coming automatically. You don't even need to try. They're just coming by themselves. The da'wah is working automatically. Then your mission has ended, O Messenger of God. So, how do we end our life? In istighfar. Oh Allah, astaghfirullah. Subhanak. Say la ilaha illallah. And Prophet ﷺ used to say, when one of you comes near death, only think the best of Allah. Think well of him. And that's what it means in this surah. The Prophet ﷺ, this was the first sign for him that he knew his death was coming. Then, my brothers and sisters, it was Ramadan, the 10th of Hijrah. And something happened in Ramadan, the beginning of Ramadan. Jibreel ﷺ came down to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him, read the whole Qur'an. Now, the Prophet ﷺ said, every year in Ramadan, Jibreel ﷺ used to come down to make me revise the whole Qur'an. He used to revise and read the whole Qur'an in Ramadan once. He said, this year, Jibreel came to make me read the Qur'an twice. And the Prophet ﷺ knew intuitively it was a sign. He worked it out. He said, that's it. I'm going to die. I'm going to live. That's it. He knew that he was going to die, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He suspected it. And so in that Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ used to make 10 nights a'tikaf. Instead, he did 
20 nights i'tikaf. And so the Prophet ﷺ started to get ready for his death. But nobody else knew. The Sahabas couldn't tell. They didn't know. Every time Prophet ﷺ would give him a hint or a sign, they would say, yeah, yeah, he's talking about the future. You know, it's like any other time. They didn't know that he was trying to uh, give them a hint that he's going to die either this year or next year. Nobody actually understood it. Nobody. So the Prophet ﷺ then, what did he do? He decides to go to Hajj. He wants to do his Hajj before he dies. And that was in which year? Hijrah? Which year? Which year? Which year? Which year? No, it's the 10th. The 10th. He died in the 11th. He died. So it was the 10th Ramadan that he got this. And then he decides to do Hajj at the end of the 10th year. And so the Prophet ﷺ picks himself up and goes to the Hajj. On his way, he sees an old man with two people helping him along. He can barely walk. And Prophet ﷺ asked, what is this old man doing? And they said, this old man has vowed out of faith and iman that he will not ride on a camel to Hajj. He's going to walk the whole way so that Allah can give him more rewards. But the Prophet ﷺ turns around and didn't like this. He said, ماذا يفعل الله بعذابي هذا? What is Allah going to do with this man tiring himself out and punishing himself like that? Allah doesn't, Allah doesn't want hardship. You bring hardship upon yourself. You know, that's why some people, they, they think, you know, they've got the easy way out to worship and the hard way to worship. And they choose the hard way thinking that Allah is going to give them more reward. No, if you do have it hard and you're trying to get out of the hardship and you're patient, yes. But if you go and you make things hard on yourself, no. I'm going to sleep on a bed with nails underneath. So I can wake up for Fajr every night and my body can be punished if I don't wake up. This is haram. You don't do stuff like that. <laughs> I'm going to fast every day. No, you don't have to do that, man. Don't kill yourself. So my brothers and sisters, he prevented that man from doing it. And this was one of the fiqh sunnas that we know. The Prophet ﷺ reached Hajj. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. For those of you who want to read about Hajj, he started doing the entire Hajj. And he said to everyone, I may not see you after this year. So anyone who wants to see me for the last time, or anyone who wants to meet me, out of all the people who converted to Islam, he said, I'm going to Hajj, you can meet me there. And subhanAllah, more than 100,000, some say more than 200,000 people, all went to Hajj just to meet and see the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Prophet didn't hide and mask himself. No, he showed himself and he was with the people. So he went to Hajj and he did all the rituals of Hajj and the rites of Hajj while people were watching. And as they were watching, they were copying him until he reached a place called Arafat. Anyone know what Arafat is? Arafat? Arafat is the day that we hear in in, in, when we're not doing Hajj, we fast it. And Allah forgives two years of our sins. And that's when the Hujjaj are in Arafat. It's the day when they stand there and make dua. It's the best day. The Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Hajj Arafat. If you don't do Arafat, you have no Hajj. So Prophet ﷺ stood there and he went to a masjid, Namira, where they built the masjid later on, and he took a valley and he stood up and that's where he gave the famous khutbah called the farewell sermon. You all know the farewell sermon? I'll just summarize it. The Prophet ﷺ says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And then he made salat upon himself and his family and the believers. And then he gave the people the last and the best of advices. He said to them, <clears throat> He said, he talked about the rights of each other. Do not take the rights of each other. 
Do not kill each other. Do not mock each other. Do not backbite each other. Do not take the rights of one another. And then he said, which month are we in? They said, Allahu Rasuluhu no. He said, are we in the month of Dhul-Hijjah? He says, yes. In which place day are we in? They said, day of Arafah. In which place are we in? He's in Arafah. He goes, three holy places, sanctuaries. He said, Wallahi, the blood, the wealth, and the honor of every Muslim to another Muslim is as sacred as this day of my ours, as this month of ours, as this holy land of ours. So do not take each other's honor or wealth or blood. And then the Prophet ﷺ advised the people to have equality between each other. He said, All of you are from this, all of you are from Adam, and Adam is of the soil, so no one has superiority over another. And then he said, There is no Arab bearer better than a non-Arab except in piety and God-fearing. And then the Prophet ﷺ started to advise intensely the men to treat their wives well. He said, I bequest you to treat your wives in the best manner. Did they not share with you your lives? Did Allah not give them to you as an amana, as a trust? And they said, yes, Ya Rasulullah. He said, they have rights upon you and you have rights upon them in equality and in fairness, in equity. Sorry, equality is exactly the same. He says, in equity, in fairness. He said, your right upon them is that they are loyal to you. And that they're not let allowed to come into your homes people whom you detest. And they don't let a man sleep in your bed. If they do let a man sleep in your bed, then you are allowed to punish them. And then ask them to, to repent. Otherwise, do not touch your wives. Do not hurt your wives. Do not abuse your wives. Allah, Allah, and he said, Prophet kept advising about the women, subhanAllah. Prophet had this thing about always advising about the people who are more vulnerable at times than, than us. He always talked about the weak and always talking about people to be looking after them and giving them their rights. Then the Prophet he said, there is no more revenge of old traditions. And he started to talk about the rights of murder and so on and so forth. And then he said, do not fight after me, each one striking each other's neck. And then he pointed his hands to the sky and to the people and he said, Allahumma fashhadu, O people, bear witness before Allah. Have I, have I informed? And they all said, yes, you have informed. And he asked them three times, O Allah, witness that I have informed them. I have passed on the message. And then the last verse, apparently the last verse of the Quran was revealed. And this was the verse which Prophet ﷺ recited. الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينًا Allah said, today I have perfected your religion. And today I have bestowed my favor upon you. And today I am pleased with Islam as your religion. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. The Jews who lived around there, when they heard about this verse and reached them, they stood in front of Umar anhu when he was the Khalifa. And they said to him, you know, there was a verse of the Quran that your Prophet received, that if it were, it were to be sent upon our people, we would have turned it into a day of celebration. And Umar asked them, which verse is that? They said, this one, today I have perfected your religion for you. And Umar laughed. And he said, Wallahi, I know exactly what day that verse came down in, 
what time it came down in and where it came down in. It came down in Arafah when the Prophet ﷺ was delivering his farewell sermon. And guess what he said to them? It is a day of celebration for us. We fast that day and the next day what do we do? Eid al-Adha. Our celebration. So in your face, basically. Brothers and sisters in Islam, after that the Prophet ﷺ finished his uh, Hajj and he said to the son of his formerly adopted son, Usama ibn Zayn. He was 16 years old. He comes out of Hajj and he says, Usama, come here. He says to him, I appoint you to be the commander of an army to go and fight the Romans in Syria. They are still a threat to us. And he appointed him and said, go, ya Usama. 16 years old. And so the elite Sahabas, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, they obviously, because they're elites, they do not hesitate. So they followed him willingly. As for the rest of the companions, the people who were still weak, they looked at him and they go, what? A 16-year-old boy? And he gets all these elite companions to follow him? What's going on here? We can't accept a young boy to lead us. He's too young. When the Prophet ﷺ received that news, he got upset and angry with them. And he told Usama to stand firm. And later on, the Prophet ﷺ stood up on the minbar of Masjid al-Nabawi and he said, What is this that I hear about you? That I have appointed Usama because he's young to command you in this army. Wallahi! His father was a great commander and I do not know anyone better than Usama to lead you in this expedition as well. So accept him until everybody accepted Usama as young as 16 years old. And this shows us that it doesn't matter what age you are, what matters is your maturity, your qualification, your skills and your ability. Brothers, can someone switch on these lights behind me? Maybe someone, if you know. Barakallahu feekum. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and now comes the few days before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam died. Now we're talking about a, a month before the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What happened? It was in the beginning of Safar, in the 11th year Hijrah. The beginning of which month? Come on guys, everyone's looking at the brother switching on the lights. Should I give you a minute? No, that's it, that's it. I think we just want these lights. Barakallahu feek. Barakallahu feek. Brothers and sisters in Islam, it was Safar of the 11th year, which is the second month of the 11th year. The Prophet ﷺ knew that he was about to die. So he decides to go to Uhud. Uhud is where the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud died. Hamza anhu, his uncle. He goes there and his sahabas, his companions were with him. And they say, we saw the Prophet ﷺ stand up at the graves of Uhud, of the martyrs. And he said to them, Assalamu alaikum shuhada'a Uhud. Peace be upon you, O martyrs of Uhud. And started making dua for them and making istighfar for them, and he prayed for them. Then he climbed the mimbar, a high place, and he started to address the people around him. And this is what he said. Ayyuhan nas, O people, Inni faratun lakum, I will be waiting for you. The people didn't know what the Prophet ﷺ is saying, but it sounded, they go, it sounded like he was farewelling us, and farewelling the martyrs of Uhud. He said, I will be awaiting for you. I will be witness upon you. And I am Wallahi, 
looking at my fountain of kawthar right now before my eyes as I am speaking to you. I can see my hawt in Nadinaka al-Kawthar. I have been given the keys of the earth's treasures. And I am not afraid that you will commit shirk after me by Allah. But I fear that you will compete for this dunya after me. And then the Prophet ﷺ climbs down. The companions are a bit confused at this. And the Prophet ﷺ walks with Mu'adh ibn Jabal عنه, on his way back to Medina. And he says to him, Ya Mu'adh, Wallahi, I love you. Mu'adh ibn Jabal. He says, Wallahi, I love you, Ya Mu'adh. Inni uhibbuka, Ya Mu'adh. And Mu'adh, it was the best thing that he ever heard from anyone. And then he said, Ya Mu'adh, Aqbalat al-fitan. The fitna. The fitnas have arrived. They're going to come. Prophet knew that we're going to live a life of fitna after him. Ya Mu'adh, the fitnas have arrived. Like dark pieces of clouds in the dark stormy night. The person who is, has, has, has a mind will be confused. A person in the night is a mu'min. By the morning is a disbeliever. By the morning is a believer and by the night is a disbeliever. People will sell their religion for this dunya. And Mu'adh was very sad and he started to cry when he heard this from the Prophet when he arrived back to Medina, the Prophet ﷺ started sleeping at each one of his wives' houses, one after another, one night here, one night there. And each time he arrived at Aisha house, I don't know why he would choose that time to go and visit the graves of Al-Baqiyah. The, the people who died in Medina, they used to be buried in a place called Al-Baqiyah. The Prophet ﷺ was ordered to go there to pray for them and to make istighfar for them. And this is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that we should always visit the graves. It's opposite to people who don't believe in the hereafter. A Muslim is in this world to work for the hereafter. And so when you think about death, you are thinking, it reminds you to prepare for your hereafter, to meaning Allah. But those who work for this dunya, they don't want to learn about death because obviously they're only working for this world. So why would they want to learn about death? But a Muslim is ordered, Prophet said, go past the graves, men and women, to the best opinion. Go past the graves, for it reminds you of your hereafter. And Prophet started going to the graves Every time, you know, like every three or four days. And Aisha Dhanana says he used to go there and I went with him once and he said the following. Assalamu alaikum, O people of the graves. Glad tidings where you have reached compared to what the living has reached. Fitna are approaching. Them like dark pieces of clouds in the dark sky. Hitting the last of the generations harder than the one before them. Leaving them to face a worse state than the one before them. We shall soon follow you. It's Prophet to go to the Baqiyah and keep making these types of du'as. Until one day he took with him one of his servants, his name was Abu Luhayba, I think. And when he was with him, he stood in front of the Baqiyah, and this was only about a week before the Prophet's death. And he turned to Abu Luhayba while he was crying. And the Prophet said to him, Ya Abu Luhayba, Jibreel just came to me. And he said to me, Allah has asked you he goes, Allah has asked me to choose if I would like to live eternally in this world and then I enter paradise or do I want to die now and meet my Lord now? And his servant, the, the companion said, Ya Rasulullah, bi abi anta wa ummi, I would ransom my mother and father for you. Choose to live eternally with us and then paradise. But the Prophet ﷺ said to him, 
I have chosen the meeting of my Lord in Jannah. I miss Allah. I can't wait. I want to go to Allah. So the Prophet chose death. And then he turned to him and said, The only thing I will miss that I, I miss not seeing and meeting my brothers. He said to him, Are we not your brothers, Ya Rasulullah? He said, No, you are my companions. My brothers are the ones who have not come yet. They're not born yet. They are the ones who will believe in me, but never saw me. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we are those. Every one of us might say, I am, because I love the Prophet so I am. How do you know? It's not enough to say I love the Prophet Loving someone means you copy them, you imitate them, you follow them as much as you can. Allah said in the Quran, Say, if you really love Allah, follow me, follow the Prophet follow him, follow his sunnah. يُحْبِبْكُمْ اللَّهُ Allah will then love you. That's, how, that's what it means to love the Prophet So if you want to be one of those, the Prophet said, I will meet them, then be one of those who follows him. Not just sits there clubbing and partying and not even praying and every now and then doesn't really care and he says, I love Muhammad I'll die for him. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because loving him means following him. If you loved him, you'll follow him. Because when we love celebrities, we follow them. We love someone, we follow them. Isn't that right? But when we love the Prophet follow him. And the Prophet said, I will be waiting for them at the fountain. I will call them by their names and I will know them because they used to make wudu. So if you don't pray, how is he going to know you? So my brothers and sisters in Islam, I ask Allah to make us his ikhwan. Then on the 29th of Safar, the 11th year, the Prophet goes and buries a companion in the Baqiyah. And then as he was returning, he feels a sharp pain in his body and in his head and a fever begins to strike him. He falls, then he stands up and he says, help me, help me. And then Al-Fadl ibn Abbas, his first cousin, and Ali radiallahu and his first cousin, they come and carry him. And he said, I feel immense pain in my head. Take me. They took him to Maymuna, his last wife, because it was her day. And he started saying, where am I tomorrow? Where am I tomorrow? Where am I tomorrow? He, he, he wants to say, I want to go to Aisha radiallahu anha, my wife. And all his wives understood what he meant. They said, Ya Rasulullah, you want to go to Aisha? Do you give me permission? Prophet could have said to them, I'm going to go. He doesn't need their permission. But this is from Prophet's fairness and mercy to show us how we should treat our wives. And he said, do you give me permission? They said, yes, Ya Rasulullah, whatever you wish. And all of his wives agreed that Prophet will spend the next many nights as, much as, as, as long as he wants with his beloved wife, Aisha, because he loved her the most. His cousins Ali and Fadl carried him on their shoulders, like helped him. And Al-Fadl says, Wallahi, I could see the Prophet's legs dragging. He could barely hold them. He'd walk and he'd miss a step. Then we'd carry him up. Then he'd walk and he'd miss a step. He was in serious pain. So when he reached Aisha radiallahu anha, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he caught, he caught him. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anha, he says, Ya Rasulullah, are you feeling in immense pain? You? And he says, yes. I feel double the pain of what you men feel. The Prophet of Allah feels double the pain of a normal person. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, is that because you have double the reward? And he said, yes. And there isn't a believer in the world who receives the harm from a prick of a needle 
or a peck, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compensates them by, by forgiving their sins of the past. Just because you felt pain, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't let you let that go away. Every little pain, every anxiety, every sorrow, every sadness, every prick of a needle, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accounts for it and forgives your sins. So the Prophet sallam, he said, Ashad, and then he says, Inna ashad al-anbiya. The ones who receive the most calamities and tests are the Prophets. Then the ones who are closer to them, then the ones who are closer to them. So if you go through trials and tests, and you find yourself patient, my dear brothers and sisters, then know that you are closer to the Prophet inshaAllah. The Prophet sat at Aisha radiallahu anha's house, and she didn't know, she didn't know what was happening to the Prophet So the Prophet slept in his bed. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she climbs up and sleeps beside him in his bed. And suddenly the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he likes that, he likes the fact that his wife is so compassionate towards him. She lies beside him in bed, and then without any uh, notice, she says to him, uh, ya I've got a headache, ya Rasulullah, my head. And she used to always do that to the Prophet because then she expects after that he's going to hug her head and kiss her on the head and read Quran. She used to love that. But this time, and only this time, the Prophet was looking at the ceiling and then he smiled. Why is he smiling? He thought, I'm going to joke with him. SubhanAllah. Even in his intense sickness, he wants to still have a light-hearted conversation with his wife. He smiles and says, Aisha. No, no. This time, it's my head. I feel too much pain. And then she said, what? You feel enormous pain? So she started to read some Qul Awdhar bin falak onto his head. And then he said, what would you think if I... He goes, what would you think, Ya Aisha, though, that if you were to die from your headache, let's say you died, and I get to wash you, and I get to shroud you, and I get to bury you, and I get to pray upon you. Isn't that amazing? He's teasing her. And then she goes, the Prophet shrouding me, praying upon me is great. But no, why would I want that? So that if I die before you, O Rasulullah, then who's going to monitor you whose wife you're going to go to in which days? I'm going to miss out on my time. And you're going to go and marry some other woman. No, 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 I want to be your last wife. I want you to stay here with me. <laughs> and the Prophet Sallallahu laughed at that. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his... Uh, Aisha places her head on the Prophet's her hand on his head, and it felt so hot that even the Sahabas put their hands on their head. They said, Wallahi, it was almost burning our hands. So Prophet was going through this pain when suddenly the Prophet started to barely be able to walk. But from that night, it was about 11 nights he lived. Every single day, even with his pain, he would go to the masjid and pray imam. He would pray imam with the Muslims and he would be dragged there. He would pray imam and return. Pray imam and return. And then one day, his, I think it was a Wednesday, his uh, fever started to increase. He went to Aisha on a Friday and now it's a Wednesday. He died on a Monday. Wednesday, his fever increased beyond control. And he started to order. He said, get me buckets from a particular well. It was a very cool well. Get me buckets, get me buckets of water and spill them on me. And they kept spilling buckets on him until the seventh bucket. Until the Prophet ﷺ said, that's enough, that's enough. Until his fever went down. And Allahu Alam, there is a medicine in that to spill cold water over a person who has a fever. It makes it go down. And then the Prophet ﷺ, a fever, we take a pill of Panadol and it goes away for us. We can't appreciate how bad a fever is. The Prophet ﷺ says one of the worst sicknesses is a fever. 
The Prophet ﷺ felt a little bit better and then he thought, let me go to the masjid. He goes out and it was after dhuhr, he prays with them dhuhr and then he stands up to give them a khutbah. And he says, may Allah curse the Jews and the Christians. They made out of their Prophet's graves mosques and shrines of worship. Do not make my grave into a masjid. And do not overpraise me as the Christians overprayed Jesus, son of Mary, until they claim that he is a God. The Prophet ﷺ, it's as if he's telling them, listen, I'm going to die. So don't make my grave into a, into a worshipping place or a shrine of worship. And do not do like the other people do, taking graves of prophets as their worship. Do not overpraise me and turn me into a God. I am nothing but a servant of Allah and his messenger. So only say, Abdullahi wa the servant of Allah and his messenger. And then the Prophet ﷺ stood up and he said to everybody, Whomever I have harmed, please take your revenge today. And whoever I owe anything, take your right from me now. And nobody would talk. Then he kept on repeating it. I beseech you by Allah, whoever I have harmed, take your revenge from me now. And it is said that one Sahabi said, I did Ya Rasulullah. He stands up and the Sahabas are going to say, how dare you? So he, he, he lifts, he says, Ya Rasulullah, you, you, you slapped me on my stomach one day. So the Prophet lifts his stomach, his shirt up and says, take your revenge. So the man comes and he kisses the Prophet in his belly. And he said, why did you do that? And he said, I don't know. I felt the Prophet was farewelling me and I want to be the last to kiss his skin. It's a barakah. That's all. And then another man stood up and he said, Prophet kept saying, if you love Allah and his messenger, then tell me if I owe you anything. And then one Sahabi stood up and he said, Ya Rasulullah, you owe me three, dir three dirhams. Three dirhams is like three bucks. The Sahabi said, why did you do that? He said, Prophet kept on repeating until I thought I'm going to be sinful if I don't say it. And then he said, if you love Allah and his messenger, and I love him. So I'm going to do it because I love him. And Prophet gave him his rights. Shuf, Prophet doesn't want any of the rights of the people with him. Even the messenger of God will not be forgiven if he has taken the people's rights. Allahu Akbar. Then the Prophet he walks back into Aisha radiallahu anha's house into the hijra there. He used to sleep outside in the backyard on his on his uh, bed and there was a curtain that he looked into the masjid from and there were several doors that entered the masjid people were allowed to build a house and have their own door to enter the masjid from at that time so it was a thursday and it was maghrib time and the prophet ﷺ got out and he prayed imam and he recited surat al-mursalat and that was the last surah and the last time he was the imam of the muslims except one time i'm going to explain it and now no more Qur'an was coming down after that. Between Maghrib and close to Isha, the Prophet ﷺ got up to pray Imam, and then he fell down unconscious. And the Muslims are waiting for him. So then he woke up and he said, Asalla nas did the people pray? And they said, no, Ya Rasulullah, they're waiting for you. See, everybody had known that Prophet ﷺ was sick. The news reached all the way far. And now the people were all leaving their homes and they were all gathering inside the masjid. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Abu Ubaidah, all the sahabas. And the masjid was full of people. They're thinking, what is going to happen to Rasulullah? He's sick. Everybody's in there. Some of them tented in there. Some of them are sleeping there. Some of them didn't have food. They're just staying in there waiting to see what's going to happen to our beloved Rasulullah Prophet ﷺ then stood up and he went unconscious. Then he got up and he said, Asallah nas the people prayed. All he's worried about is whether they prayed. And then he, fourth time, fifth time, they said, Wallahi, the Prophet ﷺ stood up and he would go unconscious seven times, trying to go and pray, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. nas And then they said, La ya Rasulullah. And then he said, Muru Aba Bakrin, Fal Yusallin nas 
tell Abu Bakr to pray Imam. Nobody in Medina had ever prayed Imam other than the Prophet And for the first time, he says, tell Abu Bakr to pray Imam. Aisha radiallahu anha, she didn't really want her father to pray Imam. She didn't want that if he prays Imam and the Prophet happens to die, that people will start remembering Abu Bakr in a pessimistic way. Oh, the day he prayed is the day the Prophet died. She didn't like that. And she says, Ya Rasulullah, you know, my father, he's got a weak voice. People can't hear him that well. And he cries too much when he prays. So get someone else, get Omar to pray. Prophet said, Muru Abu Bakr Tell Abu Bakr to pray. Then she repeated again, Ya Rasulullah, you know, let someone else. Khalas, three times. She hasn't got a, a new solution. She keeps repeating. Prophet got angry. And he went unconscious. And then her and Hafsa, the daughter of Umar, they started to sort of conspire in a good way. She said to him, tell your father Umar to pray Imam. Don't worry. Tell him because, you know, and then Prophet found out. And then he woke up and said, did you tell Abu Bakr? And she said, no, Ya Rasulullah. And she said, he said to her, Yusuf. You are doing like the acts of the women who conspired against Yusuf, you and Hafsa. Tell Abu Bakr to pray Imam. And this is a sign that Prophet wants him to be the Khalifa after him. So then, as Abu Bakr was out, and then they couldn't find him, so they told Umar to go forward. He didn't know, Umar didn't know that he had ordered Abu Bakr. So he says, Allahu Akbar, and started reciting Fatiha. Umar al-Ana's voice is very loud. And the Prophet heard the voice of Umar, and he became so furious that he raised his voice as much as he can, and says, Ya Allahu wa Rasulahu, illa an yusalli Abu Bakr. Allah and his messenger refused, except that Abu Bakr praised Imam. Allah and his messenger refused this. They refused this. Until Umar anhu says, I wish that I had died before this day. He walks, walks back and they wait for Abu Bakr to come in and he starts to pray Imam. Abu Bakr prays Imam and the Prophet moves the curtain and he sees everybody in a row praying behind him. Anhu. And the Prophet smiles. That's all he wanted to see. It's the Salat, the Salat. And the Prophet ﷺ for the next two days could not get up to pray in the masjid at all. And he became silenced. He couldn't talk much. Until one day he was able to find himself able to stand up. It was a Saturday or a Sunday at about Dhuhr time. So he moves the curtain and he gets two companions to help him. And Abu Bakr had just started the prayer. And then he heard a bit of the commotion, people saying, La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. And they turned to the Prophet ﷺ while they were in prayer. And he was only allowed for the Messenger of God. So Abu Bakr anhu moves back, thinking that Prophet ﷺ wants to pray Imam. So the Prophet ﷺ, and Abu Bakr looks at the Prophet ﷺ while he's in prayer. And the Prophet ﷺ says to him, Stay where you are, stay where you are. And Abu Bakr anhu stayed where he is standing. And Prophet ﷺ put it, they got him a chair and he sat, actually not a chair, he sat on the floor next to Abu Bakr anhu, and he said to Abu Bakr, I will lead and you say after me, Allahu Akbar loud. So the people thought that Abu Bakr anhu was being the Imam, but it was actually the Prophet being the Imam. What is that a sign of? The Prophet Abu Bakr saying it loudly, he's giving them a symbol. Choose Abu Bakr to be the Khalifa of mine after me. And that was the greatest sign the Sahabas understood. The Prophet ﷺ then returned back into the room of Aisha and he said to her, Ya Aisha, free all my slaves. He freed all the slaves and we talked about slaves last time. And he gave his weapons to the Muslims. And Aisha radiallahu anha, 
he said to her, see how much money I have. She looked around and found seven dinars, which is equal to about 30 Australian dollars. Wallahi, the Prophet all the kingdom of the world, and all he has is 30 Australian dollars, seven dinars. He said, give them away, Ya Aisha. And then he would go unconscious. Then he would wake up. Did you give the money away, Ya Aisha? She said, Ya Rasulullah, we're busy with you. He'd go unconscious. He goes, give the way, Ya Aisha. Until finally she gave all the money away. And then there was nothing left in the house, Wallahi, except Aisha had to borrow oil from the neighbors. And there was one cup of barley, dry barley. That's all the Prophet had left. Nothing else. And he said, what will I say to Allah if I were to meet him and I have seven dinars in my household, Ya Aisha? Not even that. The Prophet ﷺ, one day before he died, he opens the curtain one last time and he sees the Muslim praying in a perfect row. Nobody's arguing, nobody's shouting, nobody's debating, nobody's saying anything. And Abu Bakr is their Imam. And then he smiles for one last time. The people noticed the Prophet ﷺ moved the curtain and he was smiling. And they started to raise their voices. Abu Bakr starts moving backwards thinking the Prophet ﷺ is coming. But then the Prophet says this with his hand, stay. And Abu Bakr stayed and completed his prayer. Then the Prophet put the curtain back and returned back inside onto his bed. In this time, he called for Fatima, his daughter. He said, call my daughter Fatima. So he calls her in. Fatima enters to the room where the Prophet is. And when she sees her father in that state, she couldn't hold herself. She falls to the ground and, and, and she starts saying, Wa karba abata, wa karba abata. Oh, the pain my dad's going through. Oh, the pain my dad is going through. So Prophet he used to stand up for her every time Fatima used to come. He used to stand up from his seat and he would place her in his spot and he would kiss her for it. But at this time he couldn't stand up and Fatima realized, because he always stood up for her. She realized he couldn't even get up, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So then he said, sit next to me. She sat right next to him and she was crying. And Prophet whispered something in her ear. And she cried even more. Then he whispered something else in her ear. And she started to laugh out of happiness. Aisha said, what did the Prophet say to you? She said, no, not yet. I'm not allowed to tell you his secret until later on. And what the Prophet said to her in the first time, he said, Ya Fatima, your father is going to meet his Lord soon. I'm going to die. So she started to cry heavily. Then he said to her, you will be the first among the people of my family who will die and follow me. And you are the master of all the women of Jannah. So I laughed. And truly she died about six months or eight months after him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to pause here for a minute. It is Maghrib time. And then just for this lesson, so we can finish. I'm going to continue after Maghrib, insha'Allah ta'ala. So insha'Allah, please remain if you want to. Otherwise, those who are on, on, on uh, social, on, on live, on, on live stream, insha'Allah, please, I'll come back insha'Allah and reconnect so that we can continue the remainder of the story of the Prophet